Radio. Brit picks what the world is watching. Or we gotta get this place ready. They're coming back. There's one more, one more, one more show. They got one more show. One more show. How come my accent's different every week? Well, it's because we come from different places and we and we we, we uh, adjust mm. to the local dialect. Wait a second. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it's me, Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I didn't see that coming. How'd you get in here? Where's me, buddy? I've been, uh, I locked him in the basement. It's not usually, you're not usually the one that turns into Daniel Day-Lewis, are you? And I've been impersonating him for ten years. My God, you're the greatest actor that ever lived. Thank you, thank you. Where is my good friend, Jason? Well, I don't know where... (laughs) You see, I'm actually Daniel Day-Lewis now. Wait a second, which one of us is Daniel Day-Lewis? I believe we are, in fact, the same Daniel Day-Lewis, but separated only by the moment that happened mere moments ago. Hmm. It was at that point that we became different people, but we are still quite similar people. Oh, look, our, our, our hosts have arrived, and one of them looks white as a ghost. Daniel Day-Lewis? Double Day-Lewis? Oh, no! Yes. Well, uh, it's been a, it's been a it's been a real treat, uh, gentlemen. Yes. Uh, good luck with your podcast, and you may very well see one of us again. Yes, Jason. We're looking at you. Do you want to take a swing by Republican Heaven for a drink? Uh, I don't mind. Uh, get your jetpack. What? He's not dead. But they're not dead. They're no, Jason. You are you are letting them pull you into the craziness. There are not two Daniel Day-Lewis. This is not possible. Well, I saw two of them. I saw two of them. You got double vision. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know what... Is that what Foreigner was writing about? They were talking about Daniel Day-Lewis and his brother, Daniel Knight-Lewis? <laughs> I mean, that's the obvious choice of names. I mean, I would think if their parents were smart. Yeah. Huh. It's like it's like uh, Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers. Or, or are you sure it's not? It's Daniel Day-Lewis and Daniel Dave-Lewis. Hmm. Hmm. It'd be like it'd be like if you were like a lower class Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> I know I'm Daniel Dave Lewis. Yeah, I act on I've the street been, corners. I've been in a couple of pornos. That sounds exactly like he would sound like. Yeah, he does, does a lot of Daniel Dave Lewis, the porno version of Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> one of the most prolific and uh, uh, chameleon esque porn actor out there. Nobody ever knows it's me, eh? And I, I committed so many crimes at John Holmes. <laughs> I'm the reason he did it. It was Daniel Dave Lewis jetpack. What? He's dead too? Okay, J- Jason, we need to get a hold of this show. Yeah, we're going to get back on track. What are we doing this week, Brendan? We're doing something different. Well, this is a well, podcast. not that different. Well, first of all, this is a podcast called For Screen. And Country. And normally what we do on this podcast is we go through the BFI Top 100. That is the British Film Institute Top 100 list of the best British films ever made as conceived in the year of our Lord, 1999. But not this week! That's all well and good. That's old news. What's the new news? What are we doing this week, Brendan? Well, the new news... Just makes me laugh for some reason. Uh, I just picture a dash between them. We we're talking about uh, Brit picks. Brit picks. And for this week's uh, Brit pick, we are talking about a film that was requested by a listener. Yes, yeah, specifically, uh, specifically, some time ago, she suggested, "Hey, hey, fellas, maybe you should check this one out sometime." You, know, you talked about. Lo- 
Uh, she does. Well, I'll get to it. Okay. Uh, I'll get to it. I'm never going to name her. <laughs> Just gonna leave her in the dark. No, she said, um, you know, you guys have talked about some Powell and Pressburger. You could, we've still got uh, at least one, one, two. We've got Colonel Blimp at least. Yeah, that's yeah. we've got one. Got one left to go. And she suggested another Powell and Pressburger movie called I Know Where I'm Going. And that listener is Susie Cuthbert. Thank you, Susie. Susie, if you're out there, big props. Uh, major shout out and uh, yeah so this week we're going to talk about I Know Where I'm Going 1945 let's listen to a little bit of the intro for this film when Joan was only one year old she already knew where she was going going right left no straight up when she was five she was writing Dear Father Christmas, I don't want a doll, and I don't want a big red ball. What I want is a pair of silk stockings, and I mean silk, not artificial. She was 12 before she got her first pair of silk stockings, and they were artificial. See, all the other girls are waiting to catch the bus, and waiting. Look at her. Here she comes, straight for the milk van. Is she going to get a lift? She is. That's Joan. She knows where she's going. She does. And we know where we're going. We're talking about, I know where I'm going. Which we know. Which, yes, I'm already confused. (laughs) Um, This movie uh, came out in 1945. This is Powell and Pressburger. uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, who we've talked about many a time. Uh, this movie stars Wendy Hiller as Joan Webster. Mm-hmm. Uh, our old friend Roger Livesey is in this movie. Who I didn't recognize at first, but later realized, oh, right, he's from he's the doctor from A Matter of Life and Death. Yep. Uh, he plays Torquil. Um, Torquil Mc- McNeil. Torquil McNeil. Uh, we have Pamela Brown as as the feisty Katrina Potts. Uh, Finley Curry as, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, just pronounce that name for me, Jason. Uh, I think they call him Rory. I think they pronounce okay. it Rory. Rory Moore. Yeah. Uh, um uh, George Carney as Mr. Webster, Joan's father, bank manager, uh, who I thought was her husband at first. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh, and one other person I want to mention is a very small role, but John Laurie. Remember we talked about him in uh, 39 Steps? He was the crofter, and then he was in that show. Right. He was in that TV show afterwards, um, Father Something. I have a bad memory. Do you know what uh, I'm talking Dad's about? Dad's Army? Dad's Army. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, because on Wikipedia, it's a picture of him in Dad's Army. Yeah. So uh, he plays a character, uh, John Campbell. Uh, he's just in a brief scene. He's the son son of the couple who's having their diamond anniversary later in the film. But you know, he did not mention the most famous person in this movie, I would say. Okay. The young girl in this movie that we see that uh, with glasses, because she's smart, apparently. Mm-hmm. That is played by a very young Petula Clark. So I did see that name, and I thought to myself, I feel like I should know who that is, but I don't. Life is long, and it's making you lonely. You can always go downtown. Oh, really? Yep, that's her. Okay, Petula Clark, wow. So the most famous person in this movie has a very tiny role as a very tiny child. Well, this movie, I know where I'm going. Jason, did you have any idea what this was before starting it? No, Any at all? 
the the I'm no the, the fact that the title was I know where I'm going implied to me that it was some sort of a whimsical comedy, possibly even a musical, although it is not a musical. No, but I would say whimsical a little bit. Yeah, um, comedy a little bit. Comedy, for drama, sure. romance. Yeah, it's it's all those things. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Wendy Hiller plays Joan, mm-hmm. and Joan is she knows lady. where she's going. She at least thinks she knows. Where Guys, she's take going. a drink every time. That's right. She thinks she knows where she's going. Right she's cl- from the start. By the way, in the beginning, there we played that clip at the beginning of the movie. A fascinating way they did the credits, where the credits are physically present in each scene. So when we see the baby walk by, it pans over, and we see like a bassinet with the credits painted on the side of it. It kind of pans down, and then we come over and see her as a as a five year old. She's writing a letter because she wants her real silk stockings, and then it pans over, and there's a chalkboard which has more credits written on it. Really, really cool stuff for uh, a 1945 kind of. To, to have the foresight to think, oh, how can we make the credits themselves different? Yeah. And then that led directly to seven. <laughs> right. A straight, line, straight line. Nothing in between. <laughs> um, yeah, David Fincher, this was the only movie he ever watched. Yeah, no, this this inspired uh, specifically Fight Club quite a bit. I mean, this kind of ties into, I mean, we've, we've done uh, quite a few Powell and Pressburger movies on this show. We've talked about The Red Shoes. We've talked about Black Narcissus. We've talked about... Um, the uh, Yellow Batter- Devils. Yeah, of course. What? <laughs> I just think they're all color-based movies. <laughs> we talked about uh, A Matter of Life and Death, and then we talked about Powell's movie, Peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you can kind of surmise from all of those is that they're all pretty innovative in the way yes. they do things. And I think this was the first sign to me. It was like, oh, I'm watching a Powell and Pressburger movie because I don't know if there was a, there would have been a lot of people around this time that were doing stuff like this. Mm. Seems pretty like standard now. Yeah. But then I don't think so. Well, and it, 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 first off, so this movie's in 1945. The war is literally still going on at this point. Oh, and, and even more so when it would have been filmed, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what's interesting to me about The Strain of the Gate is the, the whole conceit of the title. I know where I'm going. This is about a young lady who knows what she wants in life. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what she wants in life is to marry a rich guy. But she knows that. Like, from the start, she is, she is forging her own path. She's not listening to anybody. Well, I mean, she don't you know, listen to her dad. She clearly loves her father, but um, you know, she comes. She, I love how when we first meet her father, she meets him at a fucking club, and he's also a bank manager, and he like gives her a deposit she had requested, and like does the full receipt signing and everything, and it just seems like a weird place. To, but I guess it's her dad, so you can meet up anywhere. But and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but yeah. I totally thought that was her husband at first. Yeah, I missed it. My, my wife was watching this with me, and I missed it at first that it was her dad. And I'm like, why the fuck is her bank manager meeting her at a club? Is she that important? And mom, uh, mom, oh there, god. And then my wife is like, no, that's. Uh, <laughs> oh no, yeah, Jason. No, uh, god, I feel like I did in first grade when I called Mrs. Angevine mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Angevine, if you're out there, I hope you're listening. That'd what's be great. up? What's up, mom? What's up, uh, <laughs> quote unquote, mom? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and when the scene opens too, um, I like the, I like the, the little, um, the little scenes that the movie puts in place, because I would say overall this movie is a pretty strong rebuke of materialism, hmm. because yeah. she is very, she is a material girl, and she's, she's living a in material, a material world. She is absolutely, to the point where when she is dreaming about uh, going to this island and getting married, she dreams not of marrying the man, Sir Robert Bellinger, that she is engaged to, no, she dreams of marrying the literal company that he owns. Yes. Consolidated Chemicals. <laughs> Maybe we should start out by listening to that dream yeah. sequence. let's hear that dream um, sequence. Yeah. Do you, John Webster, take Consolidated Chemical Industries to be your lawful wedded husband? I do. 
And do you, consolidated chemical industries, take Joan Webster to be your lawful wedded wife? Evening, Lady Beringer. so yeah so that's the dream sequence and while this is happening you, know, you get flashes of uh little like dreamlike things which is again another innovative yes. use of editing from oh, Paula pressburger specifically though flashes of her like going to stores and charging things to her account like a rich lady <gasps> that stuff ages well yeah. i could see those jokes playing today oh, because it's very like yeah she's like he's like charge it charge it charge it. it's more it's more pan gender now i suppose but uh yeah there still is that trope of the the poor person trying to marry rich simply because they want to be rich mm. and it's still relevant yeah oh no i'm not saying like specifically um for like the female character but just like this idea of mm. the, the jokes that they're making that, that she's like fantasizing about all these like pedestrian things that you do when you're rich <laughs> i have no tolerance for class traders brendan <laughs> no tolerance for what For class traders like her she's like a middle class person gonna go marry a rich guy become a rich aristocrat fuck her class trader Wow, um, Jason, you are starting. Should've, she should have done it the right way, and and I don't know, licensed her image and made a bunch of money to Disney. Well, no, well, yeah, okay, yeah, they would have existed, sure. Yeah, she could have been Snow White. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't think so because this would have been before that, but or that would have been before this. I know where I'm going. I'm going to be a princess. I'm going to be a princess, and you're all gonna love it. By the way, can we point out right off the bat, this is a movie about a lady going to Scotland. Mm-hmm. This movie's cast includes but like three Scotsmen in major roles and they're supporting roles. We have we have Findlay uh, playing uh, uh, Rory. Mm-hmm. He's Scottish. Uh, uh, what's his name from um, 39 Steps? John Laurie. John, John Laurie is Scottish and the lady, the old lady in the um, that calls back to the island. She's yeah. actually Scottish. Everybody else are English and Welsh actors. True, but Jason... This is Scotch face is we, what this movie is. We, we did cover a movie on my other podcast where they did the same thing with Irish people, and that was like last year. What so. movie was that? Wild Mountain Time? Oh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's already out of your, it's already already out of your head. Well, yeah, but there were but there was a... Jamie Dornan was literally Irish in that movie. I mean, yeah. He is literally Irish, and he was literally Irish in the movie. I read since that that apparently he had to change his accent to a different dialect of Irish, though. (laughs) Is is he Northern Irish, and he had to be literally like a a Republican Irish accent? One of of those, either way, and apparently, like, apparently for actual, like, people that are Irish that watch that movie, it's not a good accent. So I learned that. Is it like a person from uh, Vermont trying to do, like, an Alabama accent, maybe? I mean, what would that sound like? Or a person from uh, from uh, Bathurst trying to do a Moncton accent? No, I want to hear your new character, Vermont guy, try- pretending from Alabama. Oh, God. Well, if I was from Vermont, it might sound like this. So if I wanted to turn that into a southern accent, I might do that. Uh, Vermont. I just mix them together. Now I sound like a bad SNL character. Thank, thank you. Just want us a Webby. Yay! It's about time. It's all I wanted. <laughs> 
Rooftop comedy. Can we get one of those awards? Does anybody still own that? What's going on? <laughs> what were we talking about 30 seconds ago? Uh, we were talking about, well, I said that they were, there was only a few Scotsmen in this movie. Yes, you Scots, Scotch face. Yeah, Scotch yeah. face. And, uh, I don't know if I like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm, the jury's out, but I don't know if I like it. <laughs> You're not a fan of the Scotch face. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, okay, so what were we going to talk about though before that? We just watched the dream sequence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she goes to Scotland, and the whole the whole story of this. We should probably say what the plot is. The whole, basically, the whole basic thrust of this movie, Brendan. She's uh, going to marry this rich man. Yeah, Sir Robert was Bellinger. Bellinger, yes. Um, but on the way there, she has to uh, she has to take a boat to get to this island. However, there is a terrible storm. Yeah, and she's kind of stuck on this uh, on this island of. Is it Gull Island or Mull Island or Hall Island? Something with an all in it. Hall and Oates Island? <laughs> oh, here she comes. Isle of Mull. It's the Isle of Mull. Isle of Merton Mull. Um, she has to stay there. And, of course, she uh, meets all the locals, the wacky locals. Um, and, uh, and you know, she thinks that – starts to think over the pro- of the progress of the movie. Maybe I don't know where I'm going. Maybe what I love is right in front of me this whole time. I don't know where I'm going. But I sure know I love this gentleman. Here I go again on my own. Also, um, is this the only time or one of the few times, because I can't think of another example, where we have a movie where the female character is torn between two gentlemen and one of them you never see on screen. Never see. Never Never see. And that's a bit of a problem at the end of the movie, but we'll get there. See, I... I kind of like that because that's kind of the idea, like because he's Bellinger represents such an idea mm. and such like just a construct yes. that I feel like you don't even need to see that character. Well, see, here's the thing though. So there's that point where she goes; she's been trying to get in contact with him. Finally, the radio frequencies open up or whatever. The weather's right, and they can get a line to the island. And she talks to him over the radio, and she says to him, "Oh, honey, do you have a cold? You sound different." So my thought was, a this guy doesn't exist. Or B, there's like some weird imposter plot going on where she thought she was marrying one guy. Actually, part of it came to me that maybe um, Torquil was like actually Sir Robert. And oh, then he was like, just gaslighting her the well, whole time? Not gaslighting, but like doing a really cruel like test on her to see if she was cool. And, like you've and got trying mail- to see her. Yeah, kind you've of got trying, mailing exactly. Her. Yeah. You've got mailing her. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Because I had, and, and here's a little side story. I had to watch that movie for. Don't say class. Yeah. <laughs> For, for my first year of English in university. Why? Uh, Professor Quint. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Professor Quint, medicine woman? Professor Quint, uh, German uh, oh, uh, lady guy. of means, I guess. Uh, caught a shark. Cordula. I'll, I'll get you the shark. Cordula Quint. If you're out there, Cordula. Thanks. Oh, yeah. You don't get the reference. You haven't fucking seen Jaws, you asshole. Uh, we need a bigger boat, I guess, is what I heard. <laughs> get out. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got mail. It's uh, This is it, yeah. Well, that's what I thought. Um, I thought when she said when when they finally contact Bellinger and the only time like we hear his voice, that's the only time the only thing we see or hear of him. Um, I thought the thing where she was like, "Oh, you have a cold." I thought that was just her. Like, I got the sense that she never even met him. Well, that yeah, I was and thinking I, of that that maybe she had like she was promised to him or she had like corresponded and it was totally like a matchmaker type thing where she wanted a rich husband and he wanted a hot wife. And I get the sense that her saying that to him, like, when you have a cold, is, like, a little bit of her disappointment of how he sounds over yeah. the phone. We, we should listen to Bellinger, because this is the only Bellinger we get, folks. Hello, Robert? Uh, Joan speaking. 
I'm here in Tobermory. I had a very good journey. Isn't it a shame about the weather? If you want Sir Robert to answer, say over to you. Over to you? Hello, madam. Robert speaking. I'm glad to hear your voice at any rate. We're all ready here, ready and waiting, worse luck. Cartier delivered the ring, I hope. I hope you like it. I take it Hunter saw you off, over. Of course, Robert. Everything was lovely. Is there anything the matter with your voice? Have you got a cold? Over. Hello. No, no, I haven't got a cold. Why, sounds if I had. Now, listen, Joan, have you got a pencil? Write down a telephone number. Are you ready? 236. 236. You got it? It's the Robinsons' number. They've rented the castle at Sawn. Robinson's done a lot of work for me one way or another. He's one of the best. So is his wife. They're the only people worthwhile knowing around here. Ring them. They'll be glad to put you up. I'll be over to fetch you as soon as the gale blows out. Over. Uh, hello, Robert. I've got the number and I'll phone them, but I'd rather stay in a hotel. You don't mind, do you? Over. You like, my treasure. Do just as you like. I say, Joan, uh, Major Foster, McNeil's factor's here beside me. He's waiting to talk to Mr. McNeil. Is he there? I thought he was in the army. Over. So yeah, that's the that's the clip. He does sound like I, I was. I'm going to say this, Jason. I know we don't give out awards to <laughs> uh, Brit picks or you no. know any of the other things, um, but if we were going to give it to one of these movies, if we we're going to give it to this movie for most British performance, the only time we've ever given a most British performance to a character we never actually see, mm. I think this guy would get it. He certainly he certainly has that going for him, and he also seems like an alright guy. Like he, he clearly <laughs> doesn't mind about uh, her staying in a hotel. He's just like whatever you like, my dear. I don't know if he's such an all right guy. I mean, because there's that little comment he makes where he says, yes, uh, you should stay with the, the, you know, the Robinsons, the the rich people. that live. They're the only people worthwhile on the island. Literally, he knows there's like a, an operator in the yeah. room and that, you know, uh, Roger Livesey, like Torquil's in the room and he's just flippantly saying that. But it does make sense. I don't know if at this point we had been on the bus, but uh, we she had taken the bus with a bunch of locals and they were all shit talking uh, Billingsley. Billingsley, that's not his name. That's uh, the guy from uh, Christmas Story. Uh, uh, Berenger? Bellinger? Bellinger, that's there you it. Go. They, they were shit-talking Bellinger, being like, oh, he's a little king running around, you know. Well, they're like, well, they they make <laughs> they make fun of him because he lives uh, by the ocean and he, he bought a swimming pool. Yeah, and they're yeah. saying, ooh, what? and he and he goes to town to get his salmon. It's yeah. like you get salmon right there. Gets his salmon shipped in from the fucking mainland. It's like, I get it. You're not a fisherman, Sir Robert, but like, pay a local to get you some salmon. It's probably real good. If it's as good as this whiskey I'm drinking right now, it's delicious. Well, and I think that's the the, the whole idea with that whole scene where they're they're talking about Bellinger and you know Joan overhears it because she's there she doesn't say anything but you can see a little bit in her face where she's like am i doing the right thing yeah um but when when they're doing that it kind of it kind of just makes them it kind of makes bellinger sound like a phony mm-hmm. like just a rich phony right big fat phony a bit of big fat phony <laughs> um I well mean, he's kind of a phony because she thought that he owned the island Yes, that's another reveal we get because we she thought that he owned the island that she's going to, and it turns out is actually owned by um, by Torquil, uh, Torquil the who is Lord just, Killerin or Laird Killerin. Whatever yeah, you call another him. reveal we get is that he mm. is the Laird of Killerin. Yes. Jason, what is a Laird? Well, I think it's just Scotsman for Lord. You know how Scots people okay. like to say things differently. I mean, I don't know. Do you? Oh yeah. Well, did you ever read any Robert Foss poetry? 
Are you saying his name differently intentionally? No, no, I'm just saying that... Because you, uh, you said Robert Faust. Sorry, Robert Frost. I thought that was just a really clever joke. They they, they used that Scottish dialect, you know, like a, a wee and, and a wee dram. Let's have a wee dram of scotch and uh, jobby weecha and things like that. They've got their own language up there, and it's not always clear. They also speak Gaelic throughout this movie, which is not subtitled, so we don't know what they're actually saying, because Brendan and I's Gaelic studies are pretty minimal. I mean, I'm trying... You're doing your best. I'm doing my best, aka not doing anything about it. No. But um, also, they say Gaelic. You yeah. Know, I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation, and I'm certainly willing to defer to a Scotsman on that matter. But also, a bunch of these people are English and not Scottish, so I don't know. But we always say Gaelic down here in the Maritimes, and maybe that makes us a little Gaelic ourselves. But we're happy about it. We like it. <laughs> I'm Gaelic and I'm proud. That's right. I do like how when I actually do like when they speak Gaelic and we don't know what they're saying because it kind of adds to it kind of puts us in her place mm. because she's kind of confused. She's, she's in a very unfamiliar uh, surrounding. She comes from money, right? So mm. she's in this area where, you know, these people are on an island. They don't really care about money that much necessarily. And just years before they lost all their whiskey. <laughs> That's right. The same people. <laughs> but yeah, they don't really like, you know, they don't really care about money so much. Uh, they do admit at some points like, you know, oh, yes, we she asks, like, would you swim in this ocean during the storm? And she's like, oh, I'd do it for 10. I'd, he'd do it for 15. Basically saying, like, of course, we yeah, we don't hate money. Yeah. We just don't necessarily need it. For well, that's what, what she doing. says. Because they say, like, uh, we, just, we don't have a lot of money. So you're poor. Oh, no, it's, we're not poor. But isn't it the same thing? It's like, no, it's not. It's not at all. Because yeah. that's the thing. They've, they may not have actual money, but they have an economy that works. And whether that's through barter or trade or whatever, like they have a way that they make things work where they are. They certainly do have value in their homes because she even says, would you sell your homes? And it's like, you don't get it. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about selling the homes and getting money. It's, this is where we live, you know? Yeah, because Joan suggests, um, uh, why don't you just, why doesn't, uh, you know, Torkel just sell the island? Because clearly it's worth money. You'll make yeah. a lot of money. You can sell your home. You'll be very well off. And, and yeah, exactly. They're like, that doesn't, if we don't have our homes, then what do we have? I mean, Torkel came back from the Navy to take eight days leave. So he had to get all the way to, to this island and then get to the island from, from Mull. And, of course, he doesn't because no, he's also weather. he's also stuck. They're both heading yeah, to the same place for different reasons. And you know what? He doesn't mind. He deals with it. Um... Jason, tell me about a Caled. Is that how it's pronounced? Caled? This this party that they have? Well, it's at a, that would probably be the name of the place. Yeah, yeah, the diamond anniversary for that uh, old fellow. I think I thought that I thought wife. the word Caled was like a, a Scottish oh, tradition. Kaylee, you mean Kaylee? Like Kaylee? Yeah, Maybe. Kaylee is is well. In the Maritimes, when we say Kaylee, we mean kitchen party. I don't know if that's necessarily the same, but the same idea that it's a gathering of people, informal, but, you know, there for a party and a good time, going to have a wee dram, Mm -hmm. you know. But okay. uh, that's what a Kaylee is. I was. I, I thought, also, I thought there was a rich, a richer history. Growing up, my aunt has a friend, and uh, uh, that friend named her daughter Kaylee. Which I thought, oh, that's that's. First off, teachers are going to hate that because they're not going to be able to spell Kaylee. They're going to spell C E I L D. Are you putting her on a path? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Starring Kitchen Party <laughs> and Ron Jeremy. Oh no, not him. Not anymore. Nope. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Take your big dick and go to jail. <laughs> We talk about this. Uh, we talk about the um, talk about the characters in this movie. I want. I want to talk about one of my favorite characters. I think maybe my favorite character is the Colonel. And we're just going to listen to a brief clip of him uh, here of him just like uh, talking. I, I just want to have the the clip of him uh, introducing you know introducing himself, talking about his uh, his his grand scheme. 
his 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 motivation. Let's listen in. Let's listen. May I be the first to welcome you to these marble halls, young lady? I was just going down to get you. Come on in. We've lit the fire. You'll meet the colonel, I see. I've had that exceptional pleasure. My name's Barnstable. Colonel Barnstable, the greatest hawk trainer. Falconer, my dear <laughs> Torquil. The greatest falconer in the Western Isles. In the world, old boy. Katrina's out. She's our hostess. She's no idea you and I are here, but she'll find a corner for us. She's a grand girl, bless her heart. A grand girl. I've known her since we were kids. She married an Englishman called Potts. He's in the Middle East and the kids at boarding school. How's business, Colonel? Fair. I've got a new line now. Eagles. I've been training a golden eagle for seven months. An eagle? Hunting with it like a hawk? Ha <laughs> ha! That's shaking you. Where is it? I'd like to see it. Sorry, old boy. I lost him four days ago and I haven't got him back yet. Where did you see him last? On Gotti's Leap. I was trying with rabbits, and the blighter lost interest, sailed off up Ben Tullock and disappeared in a cloud. Every day I'm out after him. I've trodden that blasted mountain almost into the ground. But I'll get him back. Yeah, so he talks about... <laughs> he's, a, he's a hawk trainer. Yeah. Um, well, a falconer. A falconer. He's, he's lost his eagle, though. Mm. And there's a thread throughout the movie, like a, sub, a side plot, where, like, all the townies are, like, looking for... Uh, for whatever killed, what is it? Whatever killed their like the sheep and stuff. The, the yeah. sheep. They assume that it's the eagle, and and the colonel is like, my eagle would never do that. He's very like Winston Churchill. Yeah, he's 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 a stock character in in a in that he's a generic military personage. Like he's he's yeah. upper class. He's kind of kind of dumb, uh, but also very loyal. Uh, reminds me very much of uh, well Colonel Pickering from My Fair Lady, whom I played in high school. Plug just it. So you know. Plug it. Have you got a time machine? Tonight, old man, you did it. You did it. You did it. You said that you would do it, and indeed you did. But basically, I played... I, I hadn't seen this movie, but in retrospect, I basically played this character when I played Colonel Pickering. I would was you, would just you doing say, the upper, stuffy upper crust officer. Would you say your portrayal was the best portrayal of Colonel Well, 100%. Pickering? Yeah, it's clearly better than the guy in the movie. I mean, I'm not going to say that Scott was better than Rex Harrison because he wasn't. He's pretty good. Nothing wrong with Scott. He was mm. a good good actor. But, like, I mean, you can't beat Rex Harrison, but I beat the fuck out of that Pickering guy. I don't even remember what his name was. That's how I don't give a shit, right? We I got Rex say- Harrison, we got uh, Audrey Hepburn, and we got some motherfucker. I mean, everybody's a motherfucker. That's, I mean... Not really. No, that's not true. <laughs> Brendan... <laughs> Brendan, I wait, think we have right, some shit to talk about. Wait, we're all motherfuckers, right? <laughs> Jason, I wouldn't have agreed to this podcast if you weren't a motherfucker. Look, uh, I don't know about your Moncton ways, all right? <laughs> Things are different down there. It's, it's a like, foreign country, you might say. <laughs> it's like the it's like the feud in small faces mm, that's going on right mm, now between mm. Moncton and uh, Truro. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So the colonel, the colonel is a very interesting character. I like how his story concludes too, because um, we have this very harrowing scene, which I do want to talk about a little bit more. But we have this very harrowing scene where um, Joan and uh, uh, Torquil mm. go off, and you know, she. I mean, she essentially asks a young man to risk his life, yeah, uh, to bring her to the island because the weather's still really bad. So she goes to a young lower class guy. She fucking gets in, get her claws in early because she says, "Oh, what do you, you know, you want to get married?" She's like, "He's like, yeah." He's like, "Well, how much would that cost?" He's like, well, 20 pounds because I got to buy half the boat of her dad's boat uh, for Kat- Katrina's boat. And uh, so she takes that information and she sits on it and she festers and she stews. And when the time comes, she ropes that young man 
with an offer of 20 pounds, which is a ridiculous amount of money at this time, to take her to the island, despite the fact that the weather is incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it's it's a scene where you sense i mean what she's doing is not good no when we and the movie knows that they yeah. tell us that the characters are telling us like well why would you bring this man risk his life just because you have to get to the island and she says no i have to get to the island yeah. i absolutely have to be there and i think this is a moment in the movie where uh, i mean not to sound cheesy that she realizes she doesn't know where she's going yeah and she realizes that if she doesn't go there and continue on this path that means she was wrong and that she's falling for Torquil. I think she saw Katrina, who's a girl who does know where she's going. Yeah. And she realized she didn't quite know where she, she was, was going. Was going. I'm Jeannie Moose, CNN. It's about the boat, miss. Don't be thinking of taking it out, miss. Himself will murder Kenny. Nonsense. I look after your father. Anyway, Kenny's a man. He's taken out the boat alone many times. But never in a gale. Himself will never take it out in a southwesterly gale. But it's blowing out. Your father said so. He's going down all the time. Himself would never take it out today. And what about the money Kenny's going to earn? Do you want to have to wait another four years to marry him? Well, I would then if it has to be. Some folks there are can be waiting a day to satisfy their passion. What are you saying? Some folks there are who want to drown fine young men and break poor girls' hearts so that they can be bedded one day sooner. You'd better get out. I'll be getting out tonight, please. Who are you to be giving orders? You that come in the city with your airs and graces and your heart of stone? Why should you think that our lives don't matter at all and that yours are so important? <laughs> but you don't understand. Friday, don't cry. You think that I'm risking Kenny's life when I could stay safely here, but I'm not safe here. Oh, Friday... I'm on the brink of losing everything I've ever wanted ever since I could want anything. But yeah, I think that's like a scene where, like I said, it's, it's she 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 realizes that she absolutely has to get there as soon as possible, or you know, her life will will crumble because this is not this is not her decision making path. I don't know what she thinks going to happen that he's going to fucking marry some other girl on the island. Like if she doesn't get there in time, maybe. I don't know if you know this, Jason, but if you don't marry someone at the predetermined time, they yeah. actually get married to someone else. It, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. They did they, they you know like that that book the lottery. Um, they draw out a name. First, they get stoned to death, and then they marry them weekend at Bernie style. Yeah, you know me. I love getting stoned to death. You know what I'm saying? Hey, all right, all right, all right. Death? You mean I'm going to die? No, nah, man. This this shit right here, you can't hear nothing after you smoke it. Check out Cat Williams. He's very funny. <laughs> Other than that time, he tried to beat up a 12-year-old kid at basketball, I think, but the, bad, the kid won, so... So he's off the hook. So he's off the hook. It's fine. <laughs> if, if you attack a child, it's bad. Unless the child beats you up, then it's just sad. Your attempt at beating him means nothing anymore. No, no, it's fine. No. I mean, because you're a pariah among children. Oh, what are you going to do? Cancel him? Well, that's the thing. He's cancel-proof. Trying think, to beat him, 12-year-old child. I, mean, he's I, don't, I don't think he's doing anything anymore. He's still in Grand Theft Auto 4 to this day. <laughs> what, are they going to go back and edit him out? Well, it's a video game, so probably not. <laughs> you can go see him and Ricky Jervis in the in-game comedy club. Check it out. Game from 2008. Now's the time. <laughs> Um, another, another couple of characters I want to talk about is the characters in the castle, the mm. the rich folks that she goes to stay with initially. Yeah, um, they have the child played. The by... only good ones on the island. Yeah, well, that yeah, that's what Bellinger says. The kid, the kid is uh, who's the kid again? Petula Clark. Petula Clark. Downtown. Downtown. Um, she's a pretty solid little kid actor. Yeah. No, she's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She does. She's very proper, but she's not doing that like super precocious kid thing that I no. hate in movies. She literally asks her like directly, like a child would, like, uh, "Oh, so you're, are you rich? 
No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> oh, I see what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. She can. Yeah, she confronts uh, Joan by saying, "Ah, he's rich and you're not. I am making the connection in my head." <laughs> Smart kid. That's why she went on to such success. She knew what was going on. That's she knew all about downtown. That character is actually Petula Clark. That's, oh, that's shit. how she. That's how she grew up on oh. that island. Oh wow, I yeah. didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> she went under a different name at the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. <laughs> Petula Clark's stage name, obviously. Yeah, well, obviously, clearly. Who would Who would name their child Petula? <laughs> Petula Clark, if you're listening, I don't know why you were named Petula. Uh, the, the comments of Jason do not necessarily reflect those of Age of Radio and its subsidiaries. But I will say she could very well be listening because I believe, in fact, she is still alive. There you go. 1945. She would have been like seven when this movie. No jetpack on no. Petula Clark's back. Doesn't need it yet. No. We're just waiting, though. <laughs> That's horrible. We, we got your spot saved, Petula. Right here. There's a chair for you. When you die, you come on back. If you die by next week, you can you open die, the show. If you die by next week, you can open this show. God damn. If she does, <laughs> I am cutting that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So no. So the so the, <laughs> the couple in the castle. Um, I just think it's funny because they're like the most like hoity-toity rich, rich yeah. people. I like how the, the... But positive, like nice rich people, but but still very upper class, twit of the year kind of rich people. Yeah, well, I like when the, the, the wife goes up to uh, her daughter and she says something along the lines of like, uh, you know, are you coming with us tonight? And the daughter's the very young kid, right? It's just like, mm, I haven't decided yet. It's like, well, let me know when you make up your mind. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? She's your daughter. You should be telling her yeah, to go to she's stuff. a rich kid what the fuck do they care she can do what she wants because she's rich and it's okay <laughs> um i also had a note too i want to i wanted to ask you this question jason mm. did james cameron watch the kaylee scene because that felt very titanic you felt you think that felt very titanic it felt very titanic well but they're irish in titanic well no just that i don't mean just the fact that they're, <laughs> that they're scottish so you're, so you're saying that james cameron culturally appropriated the scottish way of life and put it into titanic and grafted a bunch of irishmen onto it um jason have you seen the film avatar <laughs> okay well but yes if we're talking about science fiction then yes we're going to talk about a cultural appropriation all day <laughs> All fucking day. Well, it's not just that. There's other things in the movie. Um, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. Uh, I was gonna ask if you noticed that. Uh, I love how. Uh, I know this is a movie about Scottish people. Yeah. But Joan attempts to make an Irish exit. Yeah. Mm, the, <laughs> right. The old. The old Irish goodbye. She just wants to fucking bail, but they will not let her. You know why, Brendan? Because they're Scottish. Oh, I thought you were gonna say because they know where they're going. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, they they all clearly know where they're going. I mean, dude's been married sixty years; he's known where he's going for a long time. I oh okay, and and talking more about this scene too. So this Kaylee, um, I think it's it's very, it's pretty um impressive, but just the sheer number of background people and extras. Um, but I love how when they go to like, they're about to do the speech, and the old man is like, he's about to say something, and yeah. then he's just like. No, 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 no. I'm tired. Classic Scotsman. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm wondering, though, because it feels like him in that scene, like, it feels like that is a younger actor in old age makeup, and then his wife is an ancient woman that could be his mother. We can find out. Ah, oh, well, let's uh, let's take a little look. So, see. do some vamping. Digging into Wikipedia or IMDb. I don't know what Brendan's favorite thing is. It's probably being a dickhead. Keep going. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, when you come to this podcast, you expect the deepest of research. And right now, Brendan, our uh, intrepid producer, researcher, co-host, director, uh, grip, 
is searching deeply for the answer to our questions because he is a, as Iron Maiden once sang, trooper. You ready? Sure. He is. Uh, he was 57 at the time. 57, and his wife looks like she's 90. I'll find out. And Brendan is going to continue to do this research because he cares, folks. You might think that your parents care about your life. They don't, compared to the way Brendan cares about movies. I've got some bad news, and oh. apparently she's not credited. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> or, or if she is, she's not accredited on Wikipedia, and that's as far as I go on the internet. Well, goddamn, that poor woman. She came out, she came all the way out. I mean, she may have lived on the island, but she came all the way out to film that scene, and they didn't have the goddamn decency to put her fucking name in the credits. Well, listen, she's probably on in the actual credits. They didn't want to put her in the fucking union. That's the problem. That's the, that. That's America. It's a problem. I'm laying pipe, baby. All night long. Laying pipe. I'm working so hard. Just folks, just so you ever know, if I'm ever a gay stripper... If I, if, I, think my life, I think you've actually, I've said it before, but I'll, I'll reiterate. If I'm ever a gay stripper, if it, my life ever comes to that, then that will be my song. So if you hear laying pipe at a strip club, chances are it's me. Yeah. So look out for that. Check me out at your local strip club. <laughs> Wherever you are. <laughs> Wherever you are. And see my fat ass Listen, Jason, shaking around. Jason travels. He'll show up. Yeah, I'll be there. I, in a pandemic, I will strip anywhere. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> okay, the other big scene I want to talk about is the... Uh, is the is the storm yeah. when they're out there in the, in the water? Because I think this is another thing where Powell and Pressburger do such a good job at utilizing their budget that this this is actually I know it's 1945 and you know it looks a little bit primitive, but for what it is, it's it's pretty impressive. You're talking about the boat in the storm. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they do some real good stuff, and I feel like there's a real boat that's used, like like at, in certain shots, like they actually have people on a real boat because it doesn't feel like a model where you would. Put the model in a small body of water, body of water, and then film it at a higher frame rate and slow it down so that it would look more like being on the actual ocean. It does look like an actual boat. So uh, I've got actually some notes here about the some of the combination, some of the shots that they that they did for this. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some long distance shots looking down over the area, shot from one of the islands. Um, there are some middle distance and close up shots that are made from a small boat with a handheld camera. Uh, there are some model shots mm-hmm. done in the tank at the studio. Um, and they had gelatin added to the water so that it would hold its shape better and look better when it's scaled up. Ooh. So I think mean, that's why I didn't really notice as much, the model stuff. Um, the close-up shots of the people in the boat were all done in the studio. Um, yeah, clearly. You can tell that that's clearly a reprojection because yeah. <laughs> the amount that that boat is going up and down in those shots is fucking insane. They should oh, yeah. all be throwing up. It, it's, it's on <laughs> it, The boat's being rocked on like gimbals or whatever. But I mean, based on the background, they're like going up... <laughs> And dropping eight feet at a time. Like, you, you would be so sick. Um, and apparently, uh, studio hands were just uh, throwing buckets of water at them, which I, I I would love to just see, like, step back and see that. <laughs> oh, I want to be that guy. I just yeah. want to be, like, the studio, like, the PA that's like, oh, come over here and toss a bucket of water in this lady's Especially face. if one of the actors was just being a dick the whole yeah. time. You just, extra water. I'll show you, Roger Lively. <laughs> Is that his name? Livesy? Livesy, that's it. Go. Oh, old li- hello, old Livesy, Livesy, this old Livesy fella. So apparently um, also uh, Roger Livesy wasn't able to go to Scotland to shoot mm-hmm. all the location stuff. So anytime you see him actually in Scotland, it's a double. Oh. Um, and he actually he actually coached the double to like how to move, how he moves, how he walks and stuff. So again, they're taking an extra step to make it look better. Wow, I, I had no idea. That never me even either. occurred to me that he wasn't there for some of the Scottish scenes. 
No, uh, I had no idea either. The movie was budgeted at two hundred thousand pounds. What the fuck, Brendan? They, they they go all the way to fucking Scotland, and they can't hire actual Scottish actors for the most part. They got to hire all these fucking English actors. Don't you think fucking English actors have enough fucking work? No, I'm supporting English actors because this now, is the BFI top one hundred. Now, pardon my French to that one person that reviewed our podcast and uh, was annoyed by the swearing early on. I get it; it sucks, but that was Michael Caine. Michael, you can't blame me and Brendan for Michael Caine. Michael Caine is a salty motherfucker. Now, that what I just said, you can blame on me, but I would also suggest that I can blame the whiskey. He knows where he's going to Whiskey Town, baby. So 200,000 pounds, which is the equivalent uh, in 2019 to 8.7 million pounds. Ooh, okay. And they went 30,000 pounds over budget. Wow. Was that for craft <laughs> services? Um, well, let's see. The actors received, the actors all received um, 50,000 pounds, uh, of Damn. which one third of that, no, 50,000 pounds for like everyone in total. Oh. Um, one third of that actually went to Hiller, Wendy Hiller. That's impressive. And the other 19... two thirds went to Roger and the rest of them all did it on spec. <laughs> I don't think so. But I do think it's pretty impressive that the lead actress in 1945 got a decent amount of pay. Yeah. Then, then that's appropriate given that the movie is clearly about her. Like she is yeah. the main character. Like, you know, like, uh, but you McNeil know, I... is there and he's the love interest, but like she is definitely the focus of this movie and she deserves it. I wouldn't be shocked though, to see it like a, like a all the money in the world situation where like Mark Wahlberg got like, Ten million dollars to go back for reshoots, and Michelle, oh. Michelle, um, oh my God, thank, help me, Williams. Yes, Michelle Williams got like a per diem. I thought you were gonna say this is all the money in the world situation where they captured her child and held him for ransom. No, not the plot. <laughs> Just the fact that when they went back to reshoots, Mark Wahlberg got like millions of dollars, and Michelle Williams literally got per diem money. What did Christopher Plummer get? Uh, I don't think he had to go back. Oh, wait. <laughs> he I mean, he did because he had to do the reshoots. I think he just got his regular pay because he was I would was like in to see the, the original cut of that. I want to see Kevin Spacey's old man performance. I mean, you to... can watch the original trailer. There's I some suppose, of it in there. Yeah. 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 He'd probably be all right. I mean, he's a scumbag, but he's a good actor. He's like James Woods in that way. No, I think he's worse than James Woods. I don't know. James Woods apparently tried to oh. fucking pick up a 16-year-old in Vegas. Yeah, come at me, Woods. Fuck you, you piece of shit. You know what we never really talked about, actually? What did we never talk about? The curse. Yeah, the curse. So... In this movie, um, there is a curse that has been placed upon the Lord Kilborn. Kilborn? Kilorn? Kilorn. Kilorn. That goes back to the, the Lord old Craig days. Kilborn. Lord Craig Kilborn placed a curse on this place. So what happened was that in the old days, an ancestor of Torquil's um, uh, sieged this castle and, and, and took prisoner two lovers that were in the castle. It's a pretty dark tale. Fucking chained them together and put them in a well uh, until they both fell into the water and drowned. And I guess the lady in this relationship put a curse on him that he would, uh, that if he ever entered this castle, Castle Moy, which is like the ruins of a castle, that he would then be cursed. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that the curse is actually that he would be chained to a woman. Yes. Much like uh, the dude in the, I guess, in that uh, prison was chained to a woman. But the thing is, Brendan, is the movie ends on a happy note Mm -hmm. where, okay, he's chained to a woman, but it's this woman. It sets it up, I believe, for a sequel we never saw that was much darker. Okay. Where it turns out that Joan is like the worst. Joan is like uh, uh, slowly killing him. She's secretly, Over the course like, of many years. slowly poisoning his food? Yeah, she's, yeah, exactly. Like, like Josephine may have done to Napoleon. She's just putting fucking arsenic in his food. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, like the lady, uh, the lady in that scene from The Sixth Sense. 
I God, I haven't seen that movie. You know since what I'm talking the, about? No, I the, haven't. The seen, babysitter. I haven't seen Sixth Sense since I saw it in the theater as a teenager. Oh, it's uh, there's a scene in that movie where the babysitter is slowly poisoning this uh, this kid that's really sick, and they thought it was just oh. really sick, but it turns out the babysitter was just slowly killing her. That's hot. And, <laughs> and, I mean, was, sorry. I mean, I mean that's that's terrible. That's terrible. You just meant like it's warm in here. Yeah, no, it's very warm in here. It's all this whiskey. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, essentially it's the curse that, fi- yeah, he turn finds out he's, he's chained to what, a woman and it turns out that, uh, yep, yeah, that's a, that's a nice gesture you're making right now, Jason. Nobody will ever know what it is. Um, and, uh, Wendy Hiller, like Joan, she goes off to, uh, Mary Bellinger, but then just before she leaves, she's like, I got to do one more thing and just, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gonna show me whether I'm doing the right thing or not. And she's like, kiss me. And they have a big embrace. She immediately turns around. She's like, nope, I didn't feel a thing. Going off. Uh, she leaves with three uh, bagpipe players because they also got stuck on the island. They were heading yes. over for the wedding, which I think is a funny detail. Because at one point he's like, well, they're your pipers. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the greatest thing is once he once he's going through the castle, he thinks all is lost. He hears the bagpipes and she's coming back with the bagpipe players playing. They have their big romantic moment. And Well, uh, she... she- Apparently she's coming with them, but I imagine they must just keep walking because they seem to be like walking in front of her and she's just following them. Like, I'm going to just use them as an entrance. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, if if that were a possibility in my life, that Pipers could play me into any room, I would be living the fucking Rowdy Roddy Piper dream. (laughs) But yeah, she comes back. They end up, you know, they realize they both have strong feelings for each other. Hmm. And uh, and the movie ends like that. Yeah. The movie ends like that. And we never hear from uh, Sir Robert ever again no because again i don't like I, again he's a character but like i feel like he's more of a of a, of a of an idea in this movie true true but but as uh you know I, I sympathize with him because it's like he thinks he's getting married to this lady and she just hooks up with some random fucking sailor from the mainland jason did you watch this <laughs> i did i did and and uh, i i respect sir robert i respect consolidated chemicals oh Limited. no get out a fine company that's doing god's work jason has made a real change in his life <laughs> i'm pro-capitalist now absolutely 100 percent business 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 money 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 that's my motto so i do want to get into the background of this a little bit um powell and pressburger originally were going to make a matter of life and death uh, but filming was held up because they wanted to do the film in color. As we remember, most of that movie was in color. Yes. Um, and there was a shortage of color cameras. Is that why part of it was in black and white, perhaps? Or was that specifically a choice made from the beginning, I wonder? I'm not sure. Let's ask them. Let's go back to our episode and listen. Can we get Powell and Pressburger on the phone? Um, I've got some terrible news well, for you. Well, but you know us. We have access to them. Well, we'll see if they can come by Hold next Hold on week. a sec. Let me just call Republican Okay. Avenue. Okay. Beep, Hello, beep. switchboard. Beep, 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 beep. Hello? Yes, uh, hi. Can, uh, this is uh, Jason from uh, First Screen and Country. Do you remember hey, us? Jason, yes, sir. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm very wonderful. How's uh, your mother? Oh, my mom's doing very oh, well. wonderful. She's still working in the hospital. Hold on a second. Mr. Douglas? No, sit down. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, can you uh, put me through to uh, Mr. Uh, 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 Pressburger? Oh, yes, just one moment here. Thank you. Mr. Pressburger. Yes. Hi, it's uh, Jason McLeod from uh, for Screening Country. It's good to talk to you. Yes, yes, well, old cock and I do for you, sir. Yeah, uh, we just we just had a quick question for you, Brendan and I, about uh, your movie, uh, um, A Matter of Life and Death. Mm-hmm. As we were led to understand, there was a shortage of color film at the time that you wanted to make that movie. Yes, that's correct. Now, we were wondering if that was why part of the movie was filmed in black and white, or if that was an intentional choice made from the beginning. Yes. Thank you very much, Mr. Pressburger. Good day. God bless the Queen. 
What, what a lovely guy. I cleared it up. He's a he's a royalist to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, well, now well now we know, Mr. Pressburger. Um, Emil. Emil is that his first name? <laughs> Emmerich. Emmerich. Um, so it, w- again, the the you know the kind of motivation behind this movie is Pressburger suggested that while they're waiting for these color cameras, they go and make another movie because you know we're just hitting, hanging around. Yeah. And he wanted to make a movie that was part of a crusade against materialism, hmm. uh, a theme they actually tackled in a movie um, that I, I kind of want to watch at some point, but it's called the Canterbury Tales. You mean the Chaucer uh, Canterbury Tales? Yes, um, but they wanted to they wanted to do that the same way they did Canterbury Tales, although they wanted to do it in a more like accessible romantic comedy format. Um, this story was originally called The Misty Island, but I think this is a better. T- I think I know where I'm going is a more fun title. Hmm. Um, Pressburger wanted to make a film about a girl who wants to get to an island, but by the end of the film, no longer wants to. That's he a su- very vague premise to start from. <laughs> 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 she okay okay she got to go to an island right. But she doesn't want. But she she gotta go there, right? But she then, for whatever reason, she can't, and that's gonna make her really sad. She wants to go to an island, and then she doesn't. And that's the movie. That's it. Print it. I'm I'm Pressburger. Give that man a hundred thousand pounds. It's gonna be. It's gonna have Roger Livesey. Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand pounds immediately. <laughs> so they they spent a lot of time researching locations and eventually decided on the Isle of Mole because they are shooting on location there. Um, Pressburger wrote the screenplay in four days. He said it just burst out. You couldn't hold back. Ah, that's a lot of cocaine involved. Yeah, nine, yeah, 1940s Britain was the height of the cocaine. Uh, I, well, you know what? If anybody could get cocaine, it would be Powell and Pressburger in 1945 Britain. <laughs> so you ready for this? These are the two actors it was originally going to star. Mm. It was going to be Deborah Kerr. Okay. Um, who we also talked about a little bit because she was the lead in Black Narcissist. Oh! Um, and Mr. James Mason. Oh, James Mason. Who we have not seen in anything yet. We, who? I don't even know if we're going to. Wow. He's more on the American list, I would think. I think so, yeah. Was he in Lolita? I think so. The Kubrick one? Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah, he's, no, he's in the Jeremy Irons one. <laughs> I told him to up. He plays Lolita. Oh, it's a very it's a very bold take on the story. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so um, actually, um, uh, so anyway, he tries to hire these two people, but uh, Deborah Kirk couldn't get out of her contract with MGM. Remember that contract yeah, studio? Bad days, bad days for actors. So they cast Wendy Hiller. Um, Wendy Hiller was originally cast in. Um, uh, three roles that actually Deborah Kerr ends up playing in the life and death of Colonel Blimp, but she had to withdraw. So they did a little back and forth. I'm really excited for that Colonel Blimp movie. As long as it is, I, I feel like it's going to be like a pretty cool epic. It's going to be an epic, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, six weeks before filming, James Mason pulled out of the movie, um, saying he did not want to go on location. What an asshole. <laughs> uh, Roger Livesey read the script and asked to play the role. Powell thought he was too old and portly, but Livesey, lo- Livesey lost 10 or 12 pounds and lightened his hair. Powell was not convinced. And then um, he still let him do it, I guess. But but yeah, and then He's it's great. funny. It's funny because James Mason didn't want to go on location. They got Roger Livesey and then Roger Livesey was not able to go on location because it. of the um, he was in a, appearing in a West End play at the time. But at least he didn't just say, oh, I didn't want to go on vacation. The idea that he was too portly in 1945, they clearly had a different definition of portly. Can you imagine time. what they think of someone like Jack Black? Or me. Folks, I'm just telling you right now, if there's okay. any British directors listening. And there are several. And you would like to pay my trans to England. <laughs> yeah. 
once this whole shit is over. Wow, what? I'll do the movie for free because I want to visit England and I want to get to know it. I, I've, I've always been fascinated by the country and uh, I feel like I'd go there and then people would be shitty and then I'd leave and be like, fuck England. But I want to know firsthand. <laughs> On that note. The reason I say that is because Greg Proops, are you familiar with Greg Proops? Yes. The comedian? Yes. Greg spent a lot of time in England and he, he mentioned that um, when he lived there, he would go down every day. There was like a newspaper agent by his house and he would go down and buy a newspaper. And it took him three years before the guy at the news agent started saying hello to him. <laughs> hey, you got to give people time. That's true. You got to give them time to adjust. <laughs> um, so on that note, Jason, we're going to take a brief break, listen to some sponsors. And when we come back, some bits and bobs. Age of Radio. Hello, it's time now for some bets and bobs with your host, Jason, and occasionally, Brendan. Thank you, uh, strange British man. Uh, Now it's time for bits and bobs, and what that means, folks, is that I'm going to open my phone. I'm going to go into my uh, writing tools subfolder that I've made specifically for the writing tools. I'm going to click the icon for Evernote. It's going to pop up. And then I'm going to see my list of notes for bits and bobs. Now... Brendan's internet connection is a little slow, so I'm just waiting to load in, and there we are. I know where I'm going. 1945. It was a it was a tale of whim, of whimsy. So first off, I'm, and I don't even have this written down. We have a narrator in the very beginning of the movie, yeah, uh, which never returns. No, but it's a nice, it's a funny way to open. I it think. is a funny way to open. But also, um, later in the movie, we have some title cards when they go to places, which are also kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think there's two of them in the movie, and it just feels weird because we've been watching the movie for 45 minutes, and there's never been a title card, and then all of a sudden, there's a title card. Okay, I'll, I'll, I can't defend the title card. I will defend the narrator, though, because I think it's a fun way to show like a passage of time in her absolutely, life. Absolutely. And the absolutely. fact that she always knows where she's going. But... The narrator implies some some weird things. Um, so when she goes to get a lift on the milk truck, I think the narrator's implying that she fucked that milk truck guy. I don't like that. I don't like that either because she's too young for that. But that was the implication that I got. Like, oh, is she going to go on the milk truck? Oh, she does. And he also makes a, a point of saying she had silk stockings, the more expensive stockings. Well, I thought she said she got her silk stockings, but they were artificial. I don't know. No, I think she she wanted silk, and she, nobody she else had silk. She wanted she silk. Had silk. Okay, I don't know. Um, my like sixth note was: he's a rich guy. Is he real? Again, I was doubting that he was even real. That she had like corresponded with him like via mail, and that it was going to turn out that he wasn't real. But it just turns out she doesn't give a fuck about this guy. We didn't talk about the character of Katrina a lot, but she has one line that really makes First me laugh. First off, I want to say, my wife's name is Katrina as well. However, her name is spelled with a K in standard spelling. This and no is with O's. a C, and there's an O in there. Yeah. What's up with that? Um, but she has a line where she says something along the lines of, an old bag like me, and I'm like, you're 30. If that. If I, that. I feel like she's supposed to be like 22. Yeah. Like, well, she's also the, clearly the, quite young. Those lines later where that Kenny guy is like, I'm 18. She's like, oh, you better be off getting a wife soon. Yeah. yeah and he's no, like, well, exactly. maybe in four years. I'm like, four years? Jesus Christ. Ah, Kenny. You bastards. Um, oh, I asked if the colonel has shell shock, but I don't think that was the case. I don't know. I maybe. don't know. Well, that might be why he takes solace in the uh, the birds. Because as we know these days, in fact, I see it occasionally. There are soldiers that will come into my store that have service dogs. Did and the... 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if the colonel devoted his um, life to these birds to help mitigate any sort of PTSD he might have had from his various services in various conflicts. Mike, uh, I have a question. Did the writers of The Avengers with Sean Connery watch mm. this movie? Because there was a phone booth, and all I could think of was The Avengers. Yes, no, absolutely. The, this was one of the direct influences for the uh, <laughs> 1997 Avengers. 97, 98? Yeah, no, yeah, whatever. No, whatever. So, Dad, okay. Maybe I looked down at my notes, Brendan, but what happened to Dad? Dad seems to have disappeared at some point. Which Dad? Uh, uh, Jones' Dad. Oh, because yeah, no, he doesn't come back after the first few scenes. I would have thought he wanted, because it felt like he was going with her to go, uh, you know, meet her husband. And then he just kind of disappeared. What, was there a specific reason that I, don't I missed? Think he was, I don't think he was going with her. I think he was, I think she just said, I'm going to go get married. And that was it. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to drop on your parents like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other thing, um, the thing, uh, the really privileged thing as bit at the beginning that really caught me was when um, they're sitting there at the restaurant, her and her dad, and the waiter comes over and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, is there something wrong with the soup? And he's like, no, we've been talking and now it's cold. Take it away. Yeah, fucking carroting it up. Like, just like, oh, so you did, because you were talking and being an asshole, all of a sudden the soup's cold and you got to send it back to the kitchen. Fuck you. That's, this is in 1945. This is probably coming out of their fucking pay. But again, this is, I think the, the movie knows this is ridiculous. Because I think that, I mean, the movie poses this as a ridiculous thing for her to say yes yes it does um and folks uh, you have to understand i am quite deep into some whiskey right now so if we're getting a little off the rails i i take full responsibility for that <laughs> brendan is completely faultless he is a gentleman he is a scholar he is um, a fine man who keeps this podcast on the rails at all times despite the fact that he's also been drinking the whiskey yes maybe not as fast now the next thing i want to say is that uh, we, we we talked before the podcast? You really enjoyed the um, "I Know Where I'm Going" song in this movie. Yep, I have to say that um, I think you're an idiot, and uh, uh, fuck you for even being born um, because that song is terrible. Now, maybe in 1945 that was cool, but the problem is, is that, that the way that song is sung feels like a parody because it's been parodied so much over time. But I think it is. I think it is kind of. It's it's okay, but like Cause, like because I think it's supposed to be like a hoity-toity song. Yeah, but but just that that it almost sounds like like if you've ever seen those videos on TikTok, and I know the kids that are listening have seen those TikTok videos where you have a wedding and there's somebody singing a song and the bride and groom are looking super awkward because this person is singing the song terribly. Mm. Like that's what that this song reminded me of. Now I'm not saying the person that sings this song is terrible. It's just that that type of Singing has been parodied so much over the years that it's lost all meaning. Now, that's not to say, Brendan, mm -hmm. that there's not good music in this movie because there is. There's lots of bagpipes, and man, I fucking love bagpipes. I, I'm I'm still gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit more on the well, song. Please just, do just to say that I think this song is supposed to be this like idea of like I don't know. I've seen a lot of movies where we're just focusing on the upper class and like you have to care about them and stuff and you know whatever their problems are and I think this song is a little bit self-aware sure. in saying like you know I know where I'm going because the song <laughs> by the way everything in the song is not true she doesn't know where she's going no. she doesn't she's not that sure of herself she thinks it but she doesn't it know. does play again at the end indicating that maybe now she knows where she's going but I still think when it plays at the beginning it's done in an ironic way I, yeah, certainly that is possible. But musically, I, I much prefer later in the movie when they're all at the bar and they're singing a cappella, or I guess at the Kay at the Kaylee, they're singing a cappella and they're singing like an old traditional song, and it's wonderful. 
In the song, though, we get the line, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is like a slang thing or if uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the line is, some say he's black, but I say he's Bonnie. Now, I know Bonnie means good or lovely or nice or whatever. So maybe black is a, a synonym for like, some say he's like, like he's a, he's not good for me. Like black hearted, maybe? Perhaps. I don't, I don't think it was, I, I don't I know think how it was a racist thing. N- no, I know how it sounds with yes. modern ears, but I don't think it was. I had to mention it, but like I say, I don't, I don't honestly think it was a racist thing. I think it was literally just saying like, he's not like a blackguard. He's not like this a is, villain. This is not as startling as the Dam Busters. No, no, certainly not. No, no. But that dog was so cute. I just wish she had a different name. <laughs> I really wish she had a different name. Uh, she is all about the Benjamins, or should I say, the Lizzies. Oh, Lizzie Bordens. Although at this point, 1945, I believe King George is still alive. Yes, he was until 1952. So this is all about the Georges. She is all about the money, baby. A lot of sailors and colonels in this movie. Is that, is that your note? That's my note. Uh, that's up to you to decide what that means. I just think... So, uh, well, I'm, I'm actually mentioning it now because later on there's a I love fat that guy. Every time this Bits and Bobs is like is like a deep dive into your mind. Yeah, absolutely. So later on, and of course, this is something I relate to. There's a fat guy trying to get laid later on. Yes. And I relate to this guy. But like, she's clearly in a, she's clearly interested in some other thin guy. But this fat guy is like, let's go to the yard and get this on. And she's like, yeah, no. I got a skinny guy. There's so also I, I feel for him, but I also feel the cringiness of him. I thought for a second there was a little cheeky implied sex scene at one point too. Because remember when they're standing there, you see a little hay fall down from the roof, mm. and two people had just gone up there. But then when they cut to them later, they're just like you know talking or whatever, walking around. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like something they just got under the censors, like just as a joke. Like you yeah, think it's well, this, but it's just. They this. Got a, I think the implication is they already had sex. Maybe now they're just chatting afterwards. Yeah. You know? like you do. Like you do. My wife and I will have sex, and then we'll talk about uh, the news of the world. The film starring Tom Hanks? Mm. Where he's a Western guy? Red Dead Redemption, the movie? If it is Red Dead Redemption, the movie, I'm fucking in. I mean, I just, I played a lot of it at the time, so that's all I could think of. Katra, uh, Katrina, not my wife, but the one in the movie, knows where she is going, damn it. Mm. It's clear, it's clear. She is, she's feeling a certain female fantasy I think in this movie where she's the more for lack of a better term tomboy in that she is clearly willing to help out with the work and stuff and it is clear that Joan is not that sort of same woman she's not the one that's going to be down helping to gut fish Mm -hmm. she's not the one that's going to help get the boat ready but Katrina is that is she implying that they need to sit at separate tables because they have sexual chemistry? Now that is when. Um, so yeah, talk, yeah, talk yeah. That, that is when uh, they go in to have lunch. You're talking about Joan and Torquil. Joan and Torquil, yeah, yeah. They they go in to have lunch, and she suggests that they sit sit at separate tables, and he's like, "Well, why?" And she's like, "You know why." I think it's this very upper class thing of like, if we're seen together, yes. people are going to think there's something that we're. Yes. we're, we're Doing something. And they're not wrong because absolutely a bunch of poor people seeing a couple of rich people sitting at a table together. It's like, yeah, they're clearly fucking because yeah. that's what rich people do. Yeah. I laugh really hard when he goes, okay, take out a pen. Write this down. Their number is two, three, six. That was a long fucking time ago that phone numbers were three numbers. <laughs> That's how few people live on Isle of Hull. Wasn't it just a radio oh. a radio call or something? No, no, no. That was literally their phone number. Oh. Because back then, yeah. I mean, not many people had phones in World War II. Oh, okay. Really. 
That's interesting. Yeah, and because and, you would probably call a local exchange, and then from that local exchange, you would say 236, but she's on the island, so it doesn't You wouldn't matter. say 867535305 or whatever that song well, is. Well, you'd have to wait about 40 years, I would say. Because oh, okay. what year was that song, Brendan? You would know. Uh, 80s? Don't know. You need to be more specific. 1983. Well, based on what Brendan says, and that is the Lord's honest truth. Yeah. That I don't, song came out in 1983, so that was like 38 years after this movie. I, I only know exact years for movie releases. 83 was also when I was born. Also the year that um, Return of the Jedi came out. Fuck yeah. I was born in the year Return of the Jedi. Although I, I was born in November, so I came out after the movie. Well, that's what inspired you to come out. Well, that's it. My, my parents, they went and they saw Return of the Jedi, and they said, it's a good thing we're pregnant because we're having a baby soon. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm, well, what I'm saying is they didn't fuck at the movie. They just saw the movie. We're like, well, it's a good thing we're having a baby soon because this movie came out. Oh, it's going to make us pregnant. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, because if I was born in November, then the math would assume that I was probably, uh, they probably had sex in February. Right. And I know, I think, Star, I feel like Star Wars was a summer film. And, and, and dad, I know you occasionally listen to the podcast. I'm sorry for discussing this. <laughs> I'm sorry for talking about your sex I'm life. I'm sorry for talking about your sex life here, but I just have to do the math in my head. So, And there's a lot of whiskey involved. So, so what came out in February of 1983, Jason? we got to yeah. find out what movie your parents fuck, fuck to. That's right. we got to find out what movie. What, what movie, Dad, did you fuck to in 1983 that led to my birth? Get at us on Twitter at BFI. I, I honestly don't think I want to know, but at the same time, I kind of want to know. You know what? I really want to know. <laughs> But then again, it was 1983. I can't imagine that my parents had a VCR in 1983. Maybe it was Cocoon. Did that come out in 83? Well, if it did, though, it wouldn't be on TV. Fast because they times. Didn't, I have to assume they didn't have a VCR. Now, Dad, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't have a VCR. I'm pretty sure you didn't. But if you did. The minute Spicoli was on screen is when, is when your dad climaxed. <laughs> oh, he, he does love that uh, Sean Penn. He loves his seriousness. So... The next point I have to make is that are all Scotsmen deaf? Why do you say that? Well, they have this Kaylee in what appears to be a stone hall. Mm -hmm. And they have not one, not two, but three bagpipers bagpiping away inside this tiny room. And to my mind, that feels like that would ruin people's hearing. Because I now don't get me wrong, Brendan. You know as much as I do. You know me. You know who I am. You know I love bagpipes. Of course. You That's bring a, them over every day. And every time I have to tell you, Jason, this is not the week we do that. And because, of, and I'm always respectful because they've never shown up on the bod, um On the Bobcast. On the Bobcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's our Silent Bob fan club podcast. But yeah, no, I, I feel like they're all deaf because that's very loud. That's very loud to have in that uh, environment. I wouldn't be able to handle it. That's for sure. Acapella song is where it's at. I wrote that down when they're all singing along. Like that's that's what I want. When the night out drinking with my friends, if we can all start singing an acapella song, I feel like it's a good night. John Laurie struck me as the first person that actually sounded Scottish in this movie. Now I know I know Rory and the old lady are both Scottish, but he was the first one that actually had that that brogue to him. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that people in England cannot do Scottish accents. Now, I understand that my Scottish accent is basically what a dwarf would sound like in D&D. <laughs> I sound like this. I'm a Scottish dwarf and I'm really short and I've got an axe and I'm going to beat your fucking head in. But I get that that's not necessarily what Scottish accents sound like. But they certainly don't sound anywhere in the range of Scottish accents. They're doing English accents with a little bit of a, like, instead of fish, they'll say, like, fosh. 
the line that made me laugh was where he he's talking. Um, I don't know if it's Rory or who it is, but he's talking about uh, Joan, and he says, "The girl is so foolish; she's a woman already." So women are foolish, I guess. Yeah, of course. That's the message of this movie. I guess. I mean, I don't know. My wife seems pretty solid. She's not foolish. She's foolish. Well, I have to ask her. <laughs> Katrina, are you foolish? Are you foolish? Get at us on Twitter. Don't tell Jason in person. <laughs> tweet us. <laughs> tweet me. Yeah. No. Reactivate your Twitter account just to tweet me whether uh, you're foolish or not. <laughs> so again, I want to reiterate. Um, Joan is a fucking bitch here, and I, I I'm sorry to use that word, but in this case, for paying off Kenny twenty pounds to take her out on the water because Kenny is literally risking his life. He's going to risk his life. And that's going to ruin the life of his uh, promise. That's going to fuck over the town. He's a young 18-year-old strong boy. He can be very useful for this town, for this island. But but again, I, I agree this is not a good thing to do. But oh. I, I'm also, I also still maintain that the movie is on your side. I think, no, I, I think you're right. Because, because clearly Torquil is on our side. And this is in the days when the men were the right ones. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously she's crazy as a woman, right? But uh, uh, you know she. I mean, she, Katrina is a woman. She's not crazy. In the that's movie. true. That's true. Katrina is smart enough to know what's going on. But she. That's the thing is that, like Rory has said, we can't take you across. And the thing is, he is a a fisherman who knows what's going on. And the fact that she doesn't want to listen to him shows her ignorance mm. of this whole situation, and that she's willing to do it, and that Kenny's willing to do it for twenty pounds. Because that's the thing. If somebody came to me and said, "Hey," If if I give you like ten grand right now, would you help me get to a certain place? I'd probably be like, yeah, all right, for ten grand. Come on. So I thought it was weird that uh, that uh, uh, Torkel didn't like. So so Torkel goes to Joan and says like, hey, you can't do this. You're gonna fucking kill him, and it's gonna ruin. Not only his life, because he's dead. It's going to ruin his wife's life. It's going to ruin the town's life. It's going to fuck everything up if you do this. And then at the end, so he spends this time trying to convince her to go. And then he just lets her go. He just says, ah, fuck you. You can fucking go die for all I care. Yeah. I mean, I think he sees that there's no stopping her. Yeah, there's no stopping her. So he just lets her go. But, but like, like he lets it happen. But then, but then he makes up for it by, he also jumps on the boat with Kenny and with her. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, probably saves everyone's life. Yeah, it's a good thing he's there. Absolutely. Um, Katrina thinks that he's running, or that she is running from Torquil because she thinks that she has um, achieved an attraction to him and that she needs to get away from it. Which is, I mean, I think uh, it is what's happening. Absolutely is what's yeah. happening. So She's Katrina is the voice of reason. Katrina is the voice of reason. That's what I always say. All right, stop trying to earn brownie points on, my, on our podcast. I love you, baby. Get out. She's not listening to this. I fucking assure you, she's not listening to this. But if you are, I love you, baby. Her dress gets blown out to sea in the oncoming gale. Katrina? Yeah. No, uh, Joan. Joan's oh. dress. She, she brings that fucking wedding dress with her because she's so, you know, the whole reason she is going is because she wants to get married. Yeah, to Bellinger. Which is weird because she doesn't bring the Pipers with her. No, but... Uh, yeah, well, I think at this point she's like, I don't really care about that right now. I just need to get over there. And yeah, get but she cares about everything else. You think she care about the Pipers? Well, I, think how she, they, I think she's a fucking scumbag. How would they fit them on that boat, Jason? <laughs> You're cut off. <laughs> <laughs> so the engine gets fucked up, which you know, I mean, I have to imagine salt water is bad on an engine. And of course, they run into the Cory Vrecken, which we learned in the course of the movie is a whirlpool that a Norwegian prince uh, tried to survive with three ropes 
uh, attached to anchors, but the last rope, uh, all the other ropes broke, but the last rope held true until it broke because one of the ladies whose hair had contributed to this rope that had made this rope of ladies' hair was unfaithful. Mm. And that seems kind of misogynist to me. So what if a lady likes to fuck? That shouldn't break her hair. I, In fact, folks, I'm going to say right now. Oh, no, hot take. Hot take. I believe, truly, that ladies' hair is... Uh, of a strength that is not affected by whether they have cheated or not. Wow. Saying um, that outright. You should be on Joe Rogan saying shit like that. <laughs> I can only hope that one day Joe will invite me on a show. Yeah, I mean, he gives a platform to everybody. He gives a platform to everybody, so why shouldn't I have a platform? Just be super racist, and you'll be on there one day. I will say, though, and you know what, and, and people give shit to Joe Rogan. I will give Joe Rogan a little bit of credit. It's only a little bit. I will give Joe Rogan a little bit of credit. Uh, when Ben Shapiro was on his show last, he did very gently try to push back against him, mm-hmm. which is more than he usually does with his guests. So, But also, Joe Rogan, like, I enjoy Joe Rogan. Like, when Joe has a good guest on that I like, like a, like a Dan Carlin or uh, Jay Leno even, like, he has a good conversation. It's just that when he has these right-wing shitbags on, he lets them spit out their bullshit generally and doesn't call them on it. Yeah, I get it. Joe's not a journalist. That's not his job. But uh, also, it kind of sucks to see him giving a platform to a Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or fucking Dave Rubin or fucking Steven Crowder. Fucking Jimmy Carter. Fucking Jimmy Carter. I wish. Oh, man, that'd be so great. I would, Joe Rogan. Joe, I'm talking to you specifically. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know you're listening, Joe. Have Jimmy Carter on. I want to hear Jimmy Carter talk to Joe Rogan. I also want to see Jimmy Carter smoke a bunch of fucking weed. So they fix the engine. They get out of the fucking whirlpool. They're not dead, thankfully. Uh, Kenny's in trouble because uh, Rory is really mad at him. And understandably so, because Rory's the guy, he's got the experience. He, he He's the guy that runs these trips. Understandably, he is uh, not impressed with Kenny kind of undercutting him in this situation. Careful with the table. Um, the curse was marriage. Big deal. He should have gone in there earlier, I think, and read that curse because although it doesn't say actually in the curse itself, that comes later on. I'm not hitting it. You are, you are. And I think that's all I got. All right. Bits and bobs. Well, that was a that was a fucking journey. That long bits and bobs. That was a whiskey soaked journey into bits and bobs. <laughs> oh man. All right, well, Jason, that's all. I, I mean, I don't have anything else. I stopped at like minute three of that 37-minute Bits and Bobs. Fair enough. Do we have any wars, Brendan? <laughs> uh, I don't believe so. No, no, that's unfortunate. But I will ask you this, Jason. Um, you had a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Um, but I would like to know what you thought overall about this little film that Susie Cuthbert suggested that we watch. Well, thank you, Susie, for checking this out. Uh, because I like this a lot. I actually probably like this more than many of the McKendrick movies. Uh, Whiskey Allure, I, I, I don't know. I put it on kind of similar terms to this. I, I think Whiskey Allure was funnier overall. But, like, this was a better movie, I would say. Okay. Um, I do recommend it. Um, the acting's fun. It's, it's, it's a good afternoon watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it feels like Powell. And, I mean, not to denigrate the filmmaking because the filmmaking is really good. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the cinematography and everything, but this does feel like a Powell and Pressburger light. Yeah, um, in yeah. that they wanted to do something fun, and because they're both very talented filmmakers, they could do something like this and kind of elevate it a little bit. Yeah, but but it's hard when you compare this to something like uh, Matter of Life and Death, which is such a fucking brilliant movie. Like this doesn't quite live up to that same level of filmmaking. And I know we're not like totally on the same page, but to me, it's like I watch this and I watch the red shoes and I'm like, that's a classic to me. This is like a fun movie. 
Red Shoes, I'm a little less hot on. I didn't like it as much as a movie, but I can't help but respect it because it's fucking beautiful. It's great. It is. I love it. All right. Well, uh, well, that's that. We talked about it. Thank you, Susie, for that pick. It was a fun yeah. watch. No, uh, that was that was cool, Susie. Thank you. Um, sped along nicely. We're always uh, happy to take suggestions for movies uh, from people. Uh, we won't necessarily watch them, but we're always happy to take those suggestions. Nice little pace to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. We watch a lot of these movies from the 40s, and, you know, they can be pretty slow sometimes. They can be a little different. Like, you know, we think of an old Coward's movie. What was that called? In Which We Serve? Which We Serve, which is a great movie, but, mm-hmm. like, it's different. Like, like the Powell and Pressburger movies feel like they're closer to a modern style of pacing, I would yeah. say, than, than a lot of the other older movies we watch. I agree, and that's why I agree with you about being so intrigued by Colonel Blimp. Yeah. Because I think that is, like you said, it's a, it's an epic long movie. It's almost three hours. Yeah. But having watched so many of these movies, even the ones that maybe on the lower yeah. end of the totem pole for you, like Black Narcissus yeah. or something, they still move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I'm wondering is because, like, is, is Colonel Blimp going to be one of these movies that is going to be super plot dense because shit keeps moving along? Or are they going to take a more David Lean approach and, like, linger on stuff and, and really let it kind of sink in? But I don't know. Don't I'm excited to see. We could very well roll that tonight. We could very well do this movie next week, Jason. And, in fact, I've loaded the dice. They're in your <laughs> hand. <laughs> I've loaded them. I've weighed them down. It should land on that number. So let's... Now, so now, if, it, now if it does, I'm going to sound... It's going to sound like a conspiracy. Sure. But let's ultimately, let's say, what do you think of this movie, Brennan? Oh, well, I think I said... <laughs> I'm just reiterating. Oh, I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed this movie, too. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favorite Powell and Pressburger. I think that goes to, so far, a matter of life and death. But uh, it's a good watch. And and honestly, I like the premise of Whiskey Galore, but I don't... The execution wasn't as good. This seems like a better Scottish movie, even though there's less Scottish people in it. It seems like a fuller movie. Yeah. It seems like there's more going on. There's, it's not just like a, like a, yeah, Whiskey Galore was fine, but it was just like, you know, a breeze. I'm quite interested to see the remake of Whiskey Galore. We'll do it one day. One day. But Jason, now comes the time, as you alluded to earlier, we are going to roll these dice. Yes. And we are going to find out what number on the BFI top 100 list that we are going to tackle next week, because we're going back to the list. We're going to do, this is movie number 76. So we've got 24 movies left on this list. Not 76. <laughs> Not 76 on the list, but we have, we've, we've done 75. We've done 76 movies so far. No, no, we've done 75, so we have 25 left. Oh, so 25 left. Wow. Yeah, so it might take a little while, folks. We'll be here all night, but yeah. here we go. So I'm going to roll the dice. We have a tens, a tens dice, yes. and we have a ones dice, single digit. Both the tens. Both D10s, but one is in 10s, one is in singles. And uh, I'm going to roll right now. Jason, here we go. I'm going to roll the 10s one first. Carry on. Oh, we're in the 10s. Do we have anything there? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. 10. We... Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be watching the 1996 Danny Boyle-directed Trainspotting. It was bound to happen. It was bound to happen eventually. I haven't seen Trainspotting since I was in university, Brendan. Yeah, it's been a long time for me, too. Yeah, I remember the baby crawling over the ceiling. Never forget that. But that, yeah, absolutely. That fucking stuck in my head. But the rest of it, I have no... Uh, uh, I was going to say Ethan Hawke. It's not Ethan Hawke. It is... Um, <laughs> I don't know. What's I don't his remember name? his name. Can't think of it. Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, Ethan... Uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor uh, is in this movie, and he has a very thick Scottish accent. There's also some people that were possibly in the full Monty, mm-hmm. maybe. I think so. Is Robert Carlyle in this movie? 
I yep. think so. Yep. Yeah. I, I saw a picture of them recently of all the four guys from uh, Train Spotting. I, I now I don't want to. I mean, I obviously don't want to start talking about this movie till next week. But since you mentioned the one thing, the one big thing that you remember, I should actually. It just came to mind now. There is one big thing that I remember, yeah. and it's when uh, it's the shit scene. Mm. That's one. Yes, yes, yes. Where he has to take laxatives because heroin is a uh, uh, stops you up. And they throw the blanket, and shit goes everywhere. That's what I remember. Um, it made me puke. Uh, almost made me puke when I first watched <laughs> well, it. Well, let's see what happens this week. Yeah, right on the podcast. <laughs> right into the mic. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also you can also find us by searching for us on Facebook by searching for for screen. On Gundre. Our home base is Age of Radio. You can Absolutely. find us on all the podcast apps, all classy podcatchers. Um, but Jason, you can, they can follow you on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Check in. Uh, today, even I posted a picture of our table as we were getting ready to uh, start this podcast. So if you go look that up on Twitter, you can get a sense of the lead time on these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to go back a little while. Yeah. Um, we know where we're going. We do. We know where we've been. And we sure like where it's going. To Here go. I go again on my own. So with that all being said, Jason, next week we're going to talk about train spotting. But until then, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brandon. And I'm Jason. We're going. We're going all the way. We know. To the island of Killoran. I know where I'm going and I know who's going with me I know who I love but the dear knows who I'll marry I have stockings of silk shoes of fine green leather combs to buckle my hair and a ring He's black, but I say he's funny, the fairest of them all, my handsome, winsome Johnny.